freedom. Here is Michael Zwirling. Good morning, Aaron. How Aaron are you? Shore and your orchestra. I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Are you excited about our program today? I'm very interested, yes. It's not very often that we do uh, pro, uh, Saturday specials in the original tradition. Sure, no. Of, of, of having a controversial topic with competent and articulate spokespersons on all sides of that topic, right? But it returns today to the Saturday special on your favorite radio station. Okay, so let's start the program officially here. Good morning. A brighter day is here. Good morning. May we bring you cheer. We've got time. We've got tunes. We've got time, tunes, and temperature. Get up and go. It's today you know on KSCO Radio. And a beautiful day it is. It'd be nice if we could have a beautiful day with lots of rain. Why not, right? Why I, not? I agree. Rain, rain in the evening and, you know, the night. That's like the okay. rain at night and then, like, sunny in the day. Yeah, when you're not, yeah. When as, long, not. as long as we're picking and choosing what we would like, you know. Right. Okay, well, we'll put in the order anyhow. Stay with us for the next uh, uh, two hours. You'll be happy you did. We think, we think. Good morning. Now stay right here on KSCO Radio. Once upon a time, there was a sleepy beach town on the central California coast. Rents were low and the living was easy. Now we're overcrowded and overpriced and overregulated. Rents are through the roof and many longtime residents have had to leave our fair town, finding that they have been priced out of the rental market. So now is the time the city council has decided to make the situation worse by inflicting a rental inspection ordinance in the name of health and safety, which is in fact diminishing the available rentals and putting people on the street. The city council has designated this a sanctuary city. Sanctuary for whom? Join us on the next KSCO special when rental inspection ordinance author Mike Rotkin meets property owners who want your signature to have a vote to kill this ordinance. This Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, right here on It's So Nice to Have Intelligent, Passionate People Arguing Respectfully with Each Other, We Hope. Radio AM 1080 KSCO. One-sided promo or not, the whole idea of a promo is to tease people to get them to tune in. Um, welcome, um, Central California and KSCO land, which is the entire planet now, thanks to uh, thanks to new media and the Internet. It's MZ welcoming you to hour number one of the KSCO Saturday special. And um, this first hour, we're going to have two guests here in the studio and one guest on the telephone. Uh, guests in the studio are Mark Premack, a local architect, uh, former city council member, current planning commissioner. Um, uh, my understanding, I hope, is correct here. And uh, Mike Rotkin himself here. Um, um, many, many years. How many years, Mike? God, were you on the city council? Like 26. 
I'm surprised. I thought it was way more than that. It was 26 out of 30. <laughs> it felt like more because there was I had breaks in service. So uh, 26 out of 33 years. Yeah. Got it. And uh, and you were mayor of five Go- times. Yeah. So and you were mayor for a year at a time or two years at a time. One, one year at a time. And the mayors are selected from among the seven council members who are elected by the public. By the by the members. Yeah. Not not the public. Mayors are not. Uh, yeah, why is that? I mean, there's not too many towns that are like that. Usually the mayors are, are, are it's actually elected about, by the populace, right? It's about half the towns in California. Really? It's um, basically known as a weak mayor system. And the idea is the mayor, instead of having what a lot of towns have fights between the mayor and the council, the mayor selected by the council serves at the council's pleasure, and therefore basically you know, you have a council that work, tries to work together. That doesn't mean there aren't differences among the council members, but instead of these kind of structured fight between the mayor with the staff and funding, the, the mayor here has no uh, staff people that are you know, for him or her. There's no special money to be spent or anything like that. Basically, you're, you're the chair of the council, and you help run the meetings and set the agendas and things like that, and you do ceremonial things, but... Otherwise, the mayor is no more powerful than the other council members. And uh, besides your um, political positions that you've held for nearly three decades, uh, you are, are you still associated with UC Santa Cruz? I'm pretty much retired from there, too. Well, I, I was. Uh, they were going to lay me off because the program I was in was being closed down, and so I retired after uh, being up there 42 years. But I've been recalled to teach again this spring. So I, I, I'm on retirement, but I'll teach a class now and then, I think, probably in the future. Ah, okay. And uh, Mark Premack, your background. Uh, you you and I first became acquainted when you were a part of the zoning board, I think, many, many years ago. It goes even further back than that. Wow. It was on the Historic Preservation Committee. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I came to Santa Cruz in 1976, not to attend the university. I'd finished school. I uh, worked as an architect here and volunteered almost as soon as I got here to um, support this community. Historic Preservation, Zoning Board, Vision Santa Cruz after the earthquake, um, Mission Street Widening Task Force, whatever I thought uh, I could be uh, useful to the city with. And uh, and then there was one term on the city council. And then a year and a half ago, I volunteered to uh, be on the Planning Commission uh, because the Planning Commission is soon to be charged with uh, major revisions to our zoning ordinance to bring our zoning into the 21st century. It's something I'm interested in. Great. Okay. And on the phone, we have uh, a gentleman named Harold Griffith. Uh, let me bring Harold on. Uh, how do you best describe I would call Harold Griffith a property rights activist. Did that pretty much cover it? Well, I came to Santa Cruz in 1970 as a UCSC student and had Michael Rodkin as one of my teachers. Uh, I have a degree in community studies and I've been studying politics and local issues for ever since. Uh, I don't know if I'm an activist as more as, as much as I am a person who believes in the citizen participation, you know. I uh, think you're supposed to pay a li- at least some attention to issues, and I am a landlord, so you know I have to pay attention to those issues if I'm going to be a successful one. All right. Well, um, but but you don't object to to the to the characterization property act uh, property rights activist, or do you? Because I have to keep referring to who these people are that we have on the radio program today. Well. Now, if- 
the labels that people put on me is nothing I can do about it, and it, it doesn't bother me. Okay, as long as it doesn't bother you, that's fine. I, I don't need to be corrected. So you're on the phone, uh, Harold, and uh, Mark is here in the studio, and Mike is here in the studio. Okay, let's let's start the discussion. Uh, why is it necessary to create yet another bureaucracy? And you can tell by by the the promo that I'm I'm a little biased myself. I, whenever it comes to property, what's the matter, Mark? You're, you're shaking. Well, your I'm head. shocked. Uh-huh. I'm shocked to hear right. that you're biased on. Well, when, when, it come, when it when it comes to property rights, <laughs> on most issues I'm not. I'm Mr. Neutral, know, you know. know. But when it comes yeah. to property rights, I think that's a cornerstone of our freedom. I think. I'll, I'll try to adjust country. to this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think. Uh, you know, this ordinance here to me is, is government at its worst, and I'll tell you why. It was created by a settlement agreement between UCSC and the city. It wasn't, you know, from top-down management style. Or it was created by a rumor that there was 3,000 illegal units in the city. Or it was created as seconds, a solution the to correct. neighbors. The, sec- okay. the second's correct. Whether it's a rumor, we'll talk about. But there was, it wasn't the first, but the second reason that you mentioned, Harold. Yes. The 3,000 illegal units was the cause for the ordinance. Okay, fine. But it, one of those three is, a, is yeah. what it is. And so then the, now the city has been inspecting units for a couple of years now. And the last count that I heard was, I think, last Tuesday by Alex Curry. And I think he said there were 72 units that were identified or, or I don't know if he said that if they were substandard or if he said they were abated, but something like that, it, one or the other. And so, you know, that that seems like out of eleven thousand units, you know, they, you know, it's not a really uh, big problem like it was purported to be in the first place. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry here. Um, hey, here. Let me let me go back a step. If again, this is Mike you know, Rotkin. Yeah. Go back a step and just say the the. Um, I think for a long time, we don't know exactly how many illegal units are in the city, but there, I think there's been a general understanding by almost everybody that we have something like around 3,000 illegal units in the city. They're illegal for two kinds of reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, they're illegal because they don't have a permit. That's the bottom line. They didn't get a permit properly, didn't go through the process, didn't follow the law, and so we can talk about whether that's good or bad. But the specific uh, violations of the law that are involved are either building codes, the building's not safe in some way, um, the electrical stuff is not up to snuff. People built, you know, put it in a garage and then put their own little wiring in using uh, gangs of uh, extension cords and so forth. That's not true of all of them, but that's some of them. That's the nature of the problem. Others are zoning violations. There's a requirement in the city zoning code, for example, that buildings be uh, that habitable buildings be three feet from the property line on the side. And so a lot of these things are uh, someone took a shed that was legally on the property line, turned it into an occupied unit. Now it's in violation of the law because it's within the three-foot setback. It's not supposed to be included in. So those are just examples. There's lots of zoning codes, lots of building codes. And there's three thousand, something like 3,000. If it's 2,500, I could be wrong, but it's not less than that, that are in the, in the city that have been constructed over a long period of time because there's a very tight rental market. People can make money if they build these units. And so people just ignore the law. They build these units, usually in existing structures. Sometimes they'll build a totally separate structure illegally. And some of these units are in violation of the zoning code 
which doesn't mean the building's going to catch on fire. It means it may be some other problem. We can talk about what those codes are and whether they're reasonable or not. Some of them have to do with immediate health and safety issues, buildings that are, you know, built on wood, on dirt floors. Uh, I've seen them. Uh, people who, who've constructed stuff in a garage, um, that then they do it with no, they don't know what they're doing and they're, and they're, they're, uh, just, you know, jerry rigged together some kind of a place. So that's that's why the law, I introduced this law. There's this rumor out there that it was caused by UCSC. After I had been working on this thing for two years because of neighborhood uh, organization pressure that we needed to do something to regulate these illegal units in their neighborhoods. And a lot of the city council's time and the staff's time was spent dealing with these complaints about these illegal units. So that's what caused the ordinance to happen. Once we were working on it, the university had an interest in it as well. And they helped contribute some funding to the operation of it and so forth. But that wasn't what set this off. It was, it had been operating, it had been, and you could just look at it historically. It had been in, in working on this, had been council discussions of it, staff had been working on aspects of it long before the university ever said a word about the whole thing. So that's, that's how it got started. And the ordinance, what the ordinance says is, just so people know what we're debating here, people need to, um, who have rental units need to register those units that yes, I've got a rental unit and then they need to have them inspected. And, um, you have people have a choice of either inspecting them right now, inspecting them themselves. There's a checklist provided by the city. Have you met these uh, code and uh, zoning code and building code requirements? And you check off your list and the, or you can have the city send an inspector out to do it. But every five years, a building inspector from the city will come to your house. And so it's not totally self inspection. But a lot of it can be done. And, of course, it's cheaper if you end up doing this for, you know, if you do it yourself, it makes it easier for you and so forth. But that's that's the law cheaper, that we're doing. How, how much does it cost, the, the cheap way I, and I the more expensive way? Mark probably knows. I don't know the exact price of these things and stuff. But they're not, it's not hugely expensive to the, I mean, we're not talking about doubling rents or something from this. It's a small increase that no doubt most landlords will pass on to their tenants. All right, we now, understand hold, that. hold on just a second here. I want to apologize. I've been remiss because we're well into the program now. And I should have announced at the beginning that Kay, my mom, is here today uh, to sign books. For anybody who wants to come down to 2300 Portola Drive, you can become part of our growing studio audience here while you're here, actually. Uh, if you want to pick up a, a tote bag, a uh, KSCO hat, a Kay's book, whatever, uh, we'd love to have you. And uh, mom likes to chat with uh, people here who come by and say hello. Now. Okay. No, so, so the last thing to say is, when somebody's found to have an through this inspection program, if somebody's found to have an illegal unit, the city staff works, and I think there's been general agreement about this. They've been pretty good about this. The city staff will try and work with the property owner to figure out well, what do you need to do to make this illegal unit. If it can be made legal, if fixing the wiring does it or something, or if you know if there's a way to move the edge of the building three feet back from the property, whatever it takes, if it can be done, they the city staff will help people make make these legal. Uh, and it's legal. But some of them cannot be made uh, legal because uh, there's no way to avoid violating either the zoning code or the building code, and those are required to be abated. And that's the number that I think Harold Griffith said was uh, 70 or so units. That, I'll take it his, at his word that that's accurate as of last week. I don't know that exact number, but that sounds like the ballpark from what I understand. Okay, Mark Premack, uh, you, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, and I'd like to um, hopefully reframe this. Uh, entire conversation. If okay. we were here talking on another subject and I used the term illegal aliens, I'm sure that Mike would uh, patiently explain to me that the term undocumented worker is far more uh, respectful and appropriate. We uh, distort the issue when we speak about illegal units. We're talking about housing. We're talking about places where our school teachers, artists, 
uh, single moms, members of this community who don't have affluence reside. We're talking about undocumented housing. And as Mike said, as many as 3,000 units in the city of Santa Cruz. That in itself is condemna- condemnation of our housing policies, that a black market in housing uh, uh, grew in Santa Cruz to meet a need that government was not providing for through their ordinances, through their support. So what we have now is a situation that we've lived with. It existed when I came to Santa Cruz in 1976. I came here without any money. I lived in illegal units, as Mike would say. I was happy for the housing. I was happy for affordable housing. Um, I, I doubt that Mike you know, uh, could deny that he, uh, in the 40 years he's been here, has known people, has befriended people who either owned or lived in undocumented housing. It's uh, an important component of our affordable housing in Santa Cruz. And the people who provide that housing are not by any stretch of the imagination, criminals. They are providing for the people in this city in a way that the government has failed to do. When I was elected to the city council, my friend Scott Kennedy asked me, what's the one thing you want to accomplish while you're in a term on the city council? I told him, I want to make Santa Cruz safe for accessory dwelling units. We've had uh, we've had ordinances in place that supposedly allow Second units, but so few are built because the rules are so restrictive. And uh, Scott helped me to do that. And um, in 2002 or three, we pa- passed uh, uh, a modicum of uh, reform. And uh, in the intervening years, 200 uh, accessory dwelling units have been legally built. As of last week, 72 affordable, uh, undocumented uh, housing uh, units in, in Santa Cruz are being abated, not because they're unsafe, not because they, uh, they are an affront to uh, humanity, but because they don't meet archaic rules. And, um, and we have to, as a city, take some responsibility. In fact, the city council, which is trying to do the right thing, is trying to correct some of the uh, some of the devastation that uh, this ordinance has brought on has um, has directed the planning commission on which I sit to uh, to hold public hearings and to uh, work to uh, fix that part of government our ordinances that uh, prevent um, units from being uh, legalized um, being brought into the fold. We're having a meeting. Uh, it's on our agenda for March sixth. Uh, 7 o'clock meeting on March, March 6th. I encourage people out there to come and inform the city as to what the issues are out there. The planning department has uh, reported that through their uh, investigations, through their uh, rental housing uh, ordinance, they have uh, are in the process of abating 72 units. Some of those units are being abated not because they're unsafe, not because there are complaints, but because the owner does not live on the property. So there, there are people who are being displaced in Santa Cruz for, uh, for technical reasons. And, um, and, and we haven't spent an, enough time responsibly as a city to find ways to help those people. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that the Planning Commission can make some recommendations to City Council to ease the pain for, uh, that this is going to cause. And that 71 people, that is just the tip of the iceberg. 
because uh, many uh, properties have yet to be inspected, and I think yeah. you're going to find a lot of damage. Mike Rock, can you find anything that uh, Mark Primack has said to be in you know un- unreasonable? Yes, oh. but where where we agree probably is um, there's no reason that we shouldn't be. And in fact, I, I support Mark's past and current efforts to look at the zoning codes, figure out which of them make sense and which of them should be changed. Mark's brought a number of, including the uh, accessory dwelling unit law that he's responsible for that I think has been tremendous, you know, uh, a positive thing. He's also done that with uh, commercial zoning codes and other things. We wouldn't have the Swift, Swift Street complex, which is a beautiful place for people to go to Kelly's Bakery and so forth, if it weren't for Mark. Um, I don't at all disagree that we should... Uh, so we should go out and, and look at these ordinances. For example, there's a requirement that you have covered parking for every property in, in the city. There's a bunch of them being grandfathered in. They were built before there was covered parking there and so forth. But if you build a new unit or if you have a house that has a garage, you can't convert that garage because you're required to have a covered parking space for your car. To me, that makes no sense. I don't understand why we have that requirement. No, that was and the the, uh, the reasons <coughs> that we made. Uh, uh, gave an incentive to creating ADUs by saying that if you have an ADU, you're not required to have covered parking. That's the, but, that was the major move that was made that allowed for uh, garages to be converted to but, ADUs. But in general, there's a number of ordinances. Maybe the three-foot setback, that was done at the time when the fire department needed, I think, I'm guessing, needed a three-foot place to run hoses into backyards and so forth. Maybe we don't need that with new technology. I don't know exactly. what's going There may be a number of these ordinances require changing. Where we fundamentally disagree, Mark's idea is, well, if, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but if, we, if, if we're short of housing, then... Some people will follow the rules, which currently say, here's the code you have to follow. Here's the building codes that have to do with, you know, again, electrical water, uh, you know, flooring, things like that. Uh, windows, airspace, and so, you know, codes of the building itself, state code, building codes, versus the zoning ordinances, which have to do with where you can put a building in relation to the property lines, how much of the land you can cover, a bunch of other kinds of arguments. Now, if you, if you want to take the position that people should just be allowed to do whatever they want, then all of a sudden the complaints that we get all the time at the city that there's too many cars parked on the street, that there's not enough airspace, that neighborhoods are overcrowded, um, and so forth, you could let all of those go. That's an aesthetic choice. And a city could decide they want to be maybe as dense as San Francisco, which is denser than Santa Cruz, or they want to be as dense as we are, or maybe they want to be more rural than we are. The... Um, it's a political choice people are making. In this town, we've decided we have these certain kinds of zoning codes to try and restrict the congestion in neighborhoods. If people think that we have room for more, packing more people into our neighborhoods, if that's what they think, you know, with accessory units or other ways of doing it, that's fine. They should bring those issues to the city council. That's this process Mark is talking about. They're going to look at revising these zoning codes to perhaps liberalize them. But what I find completely objectionable it's the idea that a person that follows the rule cannot have an accessory unit in their yard for one reason or another. But the person next door that ignores the law completely, they can go ahead and build a unit, whatever they want to do. And the idea when the city comes along and says, well, there's going to be a set of rules. Whatever they are, everybody should follow the same rules. If the rules are bad or antiquated or have some other problem, let's change them. But the, but the idea of the rental inspection ordinance, what some of the complaints seem to be is the rental inspection ordinance is discovering homes that are not following the rules and then saying to people, you got to follow the rules. And Mark is saying, no, we should look. I understand what he's saying. I believe he's what he's saying, or at least the people that have been opposed to this ordinance get up in public and say, 
we should ignore these. We shouldn't be inspecting these homes. We should trust people to follow the rules. One argument, or we don't care if they follow the rules. Let's let, let a thousand flowers bloom. We'll have houses everywhere. People want to build them. And so the argument here is, should we have a set of ordinances that are sensible, meet the needs that are, that are there, whatever we're going to have them, and and, follow, and enforce them in some way, and the or should we? Yes. Or should we the look? Or the answer we, is yes, we should. And I've spent so it, more time than anybody. I spent uh, eleven years on the zoning board, enforcing the rules and helping to write the rules. So the question would I be: Why not, there's not a re- why we shouldn't have a right. rental inspection program that discovers right. people that are violating the rules, whatever exactly. they are. Exactly. So let's look at our rental inspection ordinance. When it first came to the city of Santa Cruz, um, they said this is simple. We just are asking every uh, rental unit uh, to meet current building codes. And I happened to be at that meeting, and I stood up and I said, I hope you realize that there is not one building in the city of Santa Cruz that meets current building codes. The current building codes, those codes change every year. So when you uh, flippantly uh, say, we just want them to meet current building codes, you're looking at abating every rental unit in the city of Santa Cruz. Now, um, that's not you know, the way the well, law is That's not the way it was. No, it was rewritten. Way. It was rewritten with input from the public to say these, uh, these units will meet basic housing safety codes. And that's what the ordinance says now. And there's absolutely no reason why existing uh, undocumented units can't be brought into the fold by asking them to meet current housing codes just like uh, the ones that are being applied. Instead, instead, we insist, as Mike said, on, on conformance to zoning ordinances that have been outdated for as long as I've been involved in. Uh, they, they just, it's a band-aid system. We have not revised our zoning ordinance, uh, in, in decades. They are Ozzy and Harriet uh, era zoning ordinances. There are other cities, other municipalities that have dealt with this as ways of legalizing uh, habitable units within existing structures. And we need to take, uh, we need to uh, to learn from other communities rather than just uh, proceeding br- blindly in this. There are ways that we can bring the existing units into the fold. And I said day one when we were first uh, uh, proposing the ADU ordinance, that's the first step. The second step is an amnesty program to bring uh, undocumented units into the fold as affordable units, as rent-controlled units. They were the cheapest uh, 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 dwellings to be built in the city of Santa Cruz. They've been untaxed for anywhere from six months to 60 years. Um, People uh, should have an opportunity to bring these into the fold as much-needed housing, and they should be affordable housing. And And we need to have rules for them, and we need to make sure that they're safe. But simply going out and abating everything is not an answer, and it's not responsible. Well, they, the fact of the matter is that now that they've inspected thousands, self-inspected or had directly inspected thousands of units already. 1,100 out of 1,100. Uh, is less than half out of 1,100 units, they've abated 70-some right. units. Right. It's hardly abating all the units. And they inspected Obviously, the easy ones. They went into the big apartment complexes where the uh, the developers who own these complexes, they're more than happy to proceed with uh, the system because they can pass the costs on to their tenants. They have saved uh, the, the worst, not the worst, but the most endangered, the most vulnerable for last. The ones that are, are exist on uh, properties where uh, uh, owner-occupied, uh, where people have uh, have, uh, have either inherited or bought or built um, units in their garages. So this is where the real pain is going to come from. When the uh, inspection extends to people, uh, uh, single-family homeowners, 
who uh, who depend on the income from their uh, second units to but remain in Santa Whether Cruz. they live on the premises or not. But, but you know, yeah. the, end, the end result, we have to look at that. So there's the scary thought, that somehow they're going to find a bunch of units and a lot more units will be abated. The other side of this, from my point of view, and that I think the public would be concerned about is, if you allow accessory units on every property in single-family neighborhoods, if they're allowed to be built there, basically you're going to double the density of all, all these neighborhoods. And right now, people are concerned when there's a couple of units in their neighborhood or three or four units in their neighborhood or in their, you know, within a couple blocks. So you're talking about changing the rules so that basically anybody who wants to build an accessory unit, so long as they build it in a safe, you know, uh, physically safe manner, building code manner safe, but they can just go ahead and build it. So I'm not sure the people of Santa Cruz, and this is a bottom line, this is a political issue for people to decide. Do the people of Santa Cruz want to double the density of all of our, you know, turn every single family uh, uh, lot into a duplex lot? I got a good, very good question for you, Mike. Are you in favor of putting this issue to, on the ballot for the voters? No, I don't think it's necessary. I think there's been, at this point, the people who you think be most interested in this, the two, uh, the, the Tri-County Apartment Owners Association and the Board of Realtors, have both endorsed this ordinance and supported it. Those are the people you would expect would be, you know, crying out outrageous, uh, the, how outrageous it is if we were uh, oppressing them with the uh, the way the thing's being implemented or the idea that it's a bad idea to regulate this kind of stuff in some way. And, and uh, at this point, I, I think... Where Mark and I apparently agree is that we should be looking at our zoning codes and revising them and making them reasonable and deciding how many parking spaces we want to require and that everybody should follow the same rules. How far you have to be from the lot line, how high the building can be in a single-family neighborhood, all those kinds of issues, whatever they are, um, those kinds of questions should be decided. There should be one set of rules for everybody to follow, and the people that follow them should be allowed to have units, and the people that don't shouldn't. And what we're talking about with an amnesty program is let's reward the 3,000 people that have ignored the law and punish the people that haven't that have tried to follow it. It seems uh, wrong to me. Can I say something? For yeah, a hold, hold on, here. Hold, hold that thought, Harold, just a second here, because uh, Dada Call says here we, we, it was a real estate broker, um, and Dada handed me something. I can't read your writing, Dada. Read it yourself here into the microphone. Here, come into the microphone here. Hi, um, I just wanted to um, ask you, Mike. Am I understand the urgency for health and safety uh, issues, uh, but it doesn't make sense to me and never has why this program only applies to non-owner occupied properties. Uh, if I heard correctly at the hearing, uh, by your own account, you had personal knowledge of multiple illegal, illegal guest units of owner occupied homes in your immediate neighborhood. So can you address why would it apply to only people who don't occupy their property and not to people who yes. do? Because there's a common sense, could be wrong, common sense perception that when you have an absentee landlord who lives in Fresno, and we have a bunch of those, or some, I'm just picking a random example, but lives somewhere far away, and there's problems with the tenants in your next-door neighbor's house, they're playing their music really loud, or they're making other kinds of problems, and you have to go complain to the owner of the property, doesn't live on the property, you've got to go find this person, they live somewhere far away, that if the person who owns the property had to live there, they would be putting up with the noise from the people in that place, they would put up with the the, uh, the way they're leaving the garbage out in the front lawn, or whatever the kinds of issues are, and that you have a lot less need for city enforcement if the owner of the property were there, and the neighbors could complain directly to them, when they have a problem. So that's why the distinction was made between, and the assumption is, it could be wrong, but the assumption is that people who rent a place are um, 
in, in a different situation than the person that owns it, and I've been a renter a lot of my life, and it's not that renters are bad people or something, but the, the issue comes down to who do you complain to when there's a problem on a property? Normally you go to the person that owns it. That person lives on the property. They're right there. You know where they are. You can find them. They will deal with the problem before you even have to deal with it yourself. If the owner's absentee, not on the property, living two blocks away or in another town, it's very hard to deal with those kinds of problems. And that's what the neighbors complained about. That's why the ordinance was written that way, because the neighborhood groups said, we can't even, these absentee landlords are letting people run rampant with these problems on the property, and we okay, can't you, even get you know, all of them. Know, this is what neighbors well, complain about. They complain about houses, single-family houses, no ADU, single-family houses with seven students living in them. That's what they complain about, day in and day out. And this has nothing to do with that. So, when we talk about the university supporting a rental ordinance, what they're supporting is uh, is eliminating competition for their dorms on campus where they get $900 a month per student to share a room on campus. They don't want the competition. That's why they're supporting this. And what it leads to is, uh, is more and more houses being bought up in my neighborhood, your neighborhood, everyone's neighborhood, to be rented to as many students as possible. And that drives out families. And the reason that uh, our, our uh, ADU ordinance requires owner occupancy and the way I will, the reason that I will continue to support that requirement is that it makes it gives a leg up to families in Santa Cruz who are trying to live in single family neighborhoods that they have the opportunity to have ADUs to uh, support them, themselves that out of town buyers don't and so there's a good reason for doing that but let's you know let's not uh, get hyperbolic and say that if we convert our garages we're going to double the density in neighborhoods garages are 400 square feet most houses are a minimum of, of 11 or 1200 square feet so the very worst case we could talk about is increasing the density of our suburbs by 25% and if you think that that's uh, leading to some kind of crisis may, let me remind you that we are supposedly an environmentally conscious community and sprawl is the antithesis of uh, of environmental uh, responsibility. Density is what we have to learn to live with if we are going to be responsible citizens on this planet. And the best way to do that is not to uh, pave new ground, but to convert garages into places that our children, our aging parents, and we as empty nesters and retirees can live in and and, and remain in our community. That is the answer, the best answer we have. It's not subsidized housing that costs $500,000 a unit. It's mom and pop going out and creating housing in Santa Cruz in their own backyards. Okay, that voice belongs to Mark Premack. Uh, Harold Griffith, say your piece. Michael Rodkin was saying that he wants to have equal enforcement, and I agree with him. That's what you're supposed to have, is you're supposed to have one set of rules that applies to everybody. Okay, now, my problem with the rental inspection ordinance is this. The state of California has already adopted the Uniform Building Code, has already adopted the Uniform Housing Code that sets the standards, the health and safety standards for all dwelling units, whether they're tenant-occupied or whether they're owner-occupied, doesn't matter. These are the standards for existing houses that people have to comply with, okay? I agree with Rodkin. That's exactly the way it should be. And since those are public documents and anybody can see what those rules are, the city should not come up with different rules or more rules or different interpretation of those rules. Now, 
those rules, those health and safety rules, do, are not the same as zoning rules. The city does have the authority and the power to adopt different zoning rules, how close they are to the property line and on and on and how many parking places you need and stuff like that. And I totally agree with Mark and Mike on that, too, okay? But there's also a lot of houses in Santa Cruz you can go by drive around and you can see there's a lot of houses that were built before they had building codes. So those those houses do not have any building permits. I own a house that's like that. It does not have a building So when the city comes to somebody and says, prove that your house was built legally, well, how do you do that when there wasn't any building permit when your house was built? The city doesn't require you to do that, Harold, and I they, think they, you know listen, that. When you get an inspection, they tell you – let, let, let me respond to that one point. When, the, when you get an, uh, have an inspection, either on following the checklist, the checklist is based on the, the state building codes that you're talking about. No, the, city didn't add, the city didn't no. add new, new requirements to people for what they have to do with their houses. Yes, they, require they, pe- they require people to meet those codes. And so the question I have back to you is, if you believe in that, that there should be a set of building codes and that they should be followed and there should be zoning codes and maybe they need to be changed, but whatever they are, they should be followed, then what's wrong with an inspection program that follows whether people are, finds out whether people are following the rules or not? Because okay, unless the argument that. is we can trust everybody, nobody will ever violate the law, and none of us are here are naive enough to believe that. And none of us are naive enough can to I believe that, that we uh, we all follow all the rules all the time. And and Mike himself is a, uh, is a person who will tell you that... Um, um, there are acts of civil disobedience when the laws are not uh, in tune with uh, the needs of people that uh, that I think Mike would justify. And, and I think housing you, and is, you face is a con- human need. And then when you violate those laws of civil disobedience, you face consequences because you know you're violating the law yes. and you expect to have a con- be, be arrested for them if you depending what you're right. what But you're you've violating. heard testimony at the city council. People came and said that uh, the, the rental inspection uh, inspectors walked down their site and and looked around and said, well, what about that over there? What's that? That's they weren't even it wasn't even a unit and uh, and people were busted and told that they had to clean up other uh, ordinance violations. Well, when you start opening up that can of worms in Santa Cruz, you're doing selective enforcement and you're uh, and you're effectively, as these people say, you're harassing people who have undocumented units. So we have to be very careful about how we uh, proceed with this. And you know, for me, it's always uh, govern wisely and lightly. Uh, and we're doing just the opposite right now. And the the, re- the thing is, Mike, is this: you know, and I know that the state l- law has this, these rules about what are the standards for existing buildings. Building you know that, and I know that. What I'm saying is, is this: why doesn't the city go by those rules instead of adding more, or like Mark just said, selective enforcement and different interpretations of those rules? That's the problem. That just causes everybody grief and, and anxiety, and, and it kicks people out of their houses. I, I, we've had these meetings for these, these landlords that are against this rental inspection program. There's been multiple people who said that the city, and they've showed me the paper, you have 30 days to abate this house because we can't find any building permit for it. Multiple people have said that. I've, I've met the people. I don't see the papers. Harold, since I'm not there, I can't tell you whether they're, what they're telling you is whether they're telling the papers. If you if, might have if, seen it, but Mike, if what Harold says is true, 
Is that right or is that wrong? I don't believe it's true. I, if, I, if it was true, would that be wrong? I think if people go in there and they, if the city people go in and you could find a way to fix a, a unit, then the only reason is that you're not allowed to do it is because you don't have paper on it. That would be wrong. And I don't believe the city staff are doing that. And I've heard from lots of people who've been inspected now by the city inspectors and the vast majority of them have said, compared, they, for example, compared to the county, which they have problems with, they hate the way the county does stuff, that the city inspectors come out and they're very helpful in telling them how they could make their legal, your unit legal if it's possible to Harold, do it. Every, in fact, they've got cases right now where they're in violation of the current zoning codes, but they believe that those codes are likely to be changed by the process Mark described earlier, and therefore they're holding them in abate. They're not making them abate them. They're saying, let's see what happens in March when the council looks at the zoning requirements, and maybe you'll be able to make this legal. I honestly believe the staff are not trying to get rid of units. They're trying to make sure that people follow the rules, and if they can find a way to do that, they will do their best to make it happen. Now, has there ever been an exception to that? I'm sure there has. Nobody's perfect, and I'm sure building people do things that are not right. But there's not some wholesale process where building inspectors are going out there and telling people, oh, there's nothing wrong with your unit, but there's no paper on it. But it sounds and like you don't believe you that there has been a letter that says you've got 30 days to make it right, or or we're going to abate the unit. Of course there been that, but I I don't, what I don't believe is that someone's been told you don't have any way to make this right because you don't have the paper. That you're missing paper. Everything else about their unit's fine, but you're missing the paper that proves this legal, and therefore you have to abate it. I don't believe there's a single case of that. Is that what you were saying, Harold? Listen, I've heard at least five people show me the papers where the city has said Call, call one of the five people and have them fax it to KSCR. Fax number is 475-2967. I really, really want to see I'm that. Sure they're listening to the program. I told oh. them all about this program and to call in. And okay. ask them to come to the March 6th uh, Planning Commission meeting at and 7 o'clock at City Hall Chambers. Yeah. Well, I almost feel like Chambers. shouting their name out, but I don't think that that would be appropriate. No, no don't do that, Harold. They, they didn't give you permission for that. Yeah, but... But you can yeah, definitely call in 479-1080. We will open the phone shortly. We already have a couple of people calling in. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's if you want to get on the air, 479-1080, that's an area 831. You can email mz at ksco.com. Um, but um, we don't really give the fax number out too often, but we still do have a fax number here at KSCO. That's area 831-475-2967. If there's anybody... Uh, that Harold has referred to, uh, who has received one of these letters, uh, I want you to fax a copy of that letter. Fax that letter to 475-2967. Go ahead, Actually, Dota. They're not letters. They're called notices of violation. Whatever they are, something that can be faxed. Yeah. And thank you for pointing that out, Harold. And just, I'm going to have to go out in appointments, but uh, before I leave, I do think what we're seeing is only the tip of the iceberg. We are still in the initial three-year self-certification period, and uh, there's been an uns- – I represent a lot of clients who have abated their units on their own preemptively out of fear of having them inspected. So the numbers of lost units are indeed higher. Rents are up probably 15 to 20 percent since this for, since this ordinance started. But once the three-year self-certification period ends, then there's going to be a second wave of this. So I think it's crucial. I'm really glad to see Mark Premack um, – uh, taking an active role and hopefully guiding this to a more positive resolution because we're going to see those numbers, by my estimation, well, they'll, they'll increase uh, by a large, a large portion. Donna, how positive are you that this rental ordinance that's now in effect 
is the reason that rents are so can it be that a lot of people have have uh, lost their property so there's a lot more people renting now maybe that could be why it's it might, might, might it be the economic factor. recovery and that people actually are able to pay more and that landlords will take yeah. whatever they can get from their tenants it's a contributing factor <laughs> but i'm on yeah, i'm on the front lines i'm dealing with a lot of my property owners and you know a lot of the ways that the program has been handed down have not been exactly graceful. Um, people being told, well, you're not eligible for the self-certification because you had a red tag within the last three years, and they mistakenly taken the, the date from when the uh, notice was given when, in fact, it should have gone back to when the program it was initiated, things like that. So anything that's subject to interpretation by the administrators, however well-meaning they might be, is a potential misinterpretation and a potential um, basically imposition on somebody's property rights. Let me ask a question. Is it possible that a person that had a code violation in the last two years, three years, or five years, whatever the period is, is someone who the city shouldn't trust to inspect themselves? Or is that a ridiculously outrageous fascist thing for the city to do? Let me ask that. Well, you know, the Planning Commission met last Thursday, and uh, and you had brought up, uh, uh, or Mike had brought up uh, Kelly's Courtyard. And there were uh, some uh, issues that were there about that project, which is has brought such vitality to the west side. And I've been involved in projects there. And here's what I can tell you. Zoning violations make good neighbors. In Santa Cruz, zoning violations make good neighbors because everybody has one. They may not know they have one, but the rules change, the laws change, and people accommodate their lives on their properties. And oftentimes they do it ad hoc. So if we were deciding that we were going to bust everybody in the city who had a zoning ordinance, we'd be closing down half our businesses and shutting half our houses. So uh, this is the, the situation where people forget that uh, that uh, buildings grow and learn over time, that uh, uh, neighborhoods uh, change to accommodate their needs. When they forget that, then they start turning to rules to clean things up, and all hell breaks loose. And that's what is going to happen, as Data said, when the self-certification is over, when, uh, when inspectors come in and start looking at the real Santa Cruz. Because the real Santa Cruz, the one we love, is funky, it's ad hoc, and it doesn't always conform and rarely conforms to all the rules. So that's why it's critical that we make our rules sensible and straightforward and uh, we make our rules reflect not some ideal, but how we actually live and survive in this town. Uh, people who rent ADUs are not ruthless landlords out to uh, oppress renters. They're people who are trying to survive in this town, and we need to support them. Because, uh, right. because high rents do, and high prices affect everybody. You're, you're obviously in favor of, of getting rid of the existing ordinance. Yes, Mark? I'm in favor of, uh, of finding ways to bring as many uh, undocumented units into the fold as affordable housing, regulated okay. just, housing just in the like city of Santa Just like you've Cruz. always done when you were on commissions and things, which you still are. You're on the planning commission yeah. now. But, um, so, but again, answer my question directly. Are you in favor? Are you going to sign the petition to get rid of this ordinance, to put it to the voters? I see no problem with uh, with uh, voters. Uh, uh, I never. See, I'll, I'll always sign a petition. It, it, it and it makes me sad, Mike. I, you know, I you know I like you, and you know I I have a very high regard. Take for, this personally, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, it, it, it bothers person. me. <clears throat> Why wouldn't anybody, no matter who they were, n- uh, uh, not want to put a controversial issue 
before the voters. And that's what I heard out of you. You're not in favor. That says that that's something about your belief that government is almighty and we know what's best, what, what's better for the serfs. That really bothers me that you think that way. I think the city council is elected in elections that take place every two years. In the city of Santa there may be I may be wrong, but in the city of Santa Cruz they tend to be pretty non corrupt elections. People run for office and they tell you what they're gonna do if they get there. Most of them try and do what they said they would, not always, but you know. And if people want to change this this stuff, what if, for example, if they share Mark Primack's philosophy about loosening up the zoning so that there's a lot more flex I mean he's not saying he, Mark, I didn't hear Mark say we shouldn't have rules. He's saying the rules should be looser, there should be more opportunities for things to happen. If people share those views, they should elect those people to public office and let them carefully craft ordinances that make sense, rather than a ham-handed kind of uh, ordinance that happens by a vote of the people that says, there shall be no, I don't know, I know what the petition says, but there shall be no reg, you know, rental inspection. What does the petition no, say, it says to not have a rental inspection program, is my guess, if put it simply. We don't believe in a rental inspection program. Is that program. true? Essentially, it's asking to unwind it and give it more public review before it happens. I stood in a you know, in a packed chambers, watching this get uh, voted through, and Mr. Rotkin essentially said, we understand that most of you in this room are against this, but we believe that the greater good of people outside of this room is in support of it. Well, why not put it out to the voters? You know, I actually personally benefit from the ordinance because I am a landlord, I'm a realtor, property values get driven up, rents get driven up, that's fine, but as a human, as a human being, I don't like to see something that I think might be unfair. And, you know, when probably nine out of ten of my clients had never heard of this thing and they were impacted by it until after it happened, that tells me, well, time out. Let's put this out and see if this really is as good as idea as Mr. Rockin thinks Ron it is. Ron Cabot, who may be on next hour with us, I'm not sure whether what the arrangement is here, has handed me a copy of the initiative measure. <coughs> Excuse me, gosh. Um, and the last sentence, it says, this initiative if adopted by the city voters, would enact an ordinance repealing the residential rental dwelling unit inspection and maintenance program in its entirety and further mandate that no such ordinance will be enacted in the future unless approved by a majority of city voters. So, as I said, instead of having a careful discussion by people elected, uh, figuring out what's the best way to do this, it's, it's no, there will be no rental inspection program if this, uh, if this, if this uh, gets on the ballot and then is passed by the majority. Well, and for that interim period until another ballot measure that's written. No, so 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 the question of. is, do we think that basically a small town of sixty thousand people can have seven council members elected by the public and I think fairly open elections decide what is it the majority of people would like to see around these things or whether we're going to have governance by uh, by these uh, measures by the people, which basically don't provide a better rental inspection ordinance or one that's more careful. It doesn't do anything to change the stuff Mark's talking about in terms of what are the rules. It just says we're not going to have anybody enforcing the rules well, in Santa Cruz. Do what, right? do what you want with Do what you No, that's what it no. says. Do what you want Can with I your property. Go ahead, you're on. Okay, listen, if that is, this ordinance would just repeal the rental inspection ordinance, leaving the state law, the mandatory state law that has to do with health and safety in place. And while that was in place, Harold... Zoning ordinances in place. Harold, and while that was in place for the last... Inspection ordinance. And for the last four years, last four decades, or five decades, maybe longer, at least since I've been here, four decades... 
those those things have been in place and completely ignored by at least 3,000 people, or around 3,000 people. And especially people. ignored by uh, whichever seven people happen to be sitting on the city council at the time. As well. Everyone uh, knows that those ordinance, uh, that those uh, uh, dwellings existed, and nobody wanted to deal with it because they understood how critical it was to the housing of Santa Cruz. And uh, this was a precipitous ordinance that was not well thought out, was not well conceived, and it needs to be rethought. I agree with Mike that we should have seven people on the city council that people in the city of Santa Cruz trust. All right. Let's go to the phone lines. <clears throat> Kathleen, a property manager in Santa Cruz. You're on the air on KSCO. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm listening to this interesting debate, and I wanted to call in because as a local property manager, manage over 200 units in Santa Cruz area, and initially I was very much against um, this ordinance because our company does regular um, checks and move-in reports and all of our properties are held to health and safety and all of that. However, since it has gone into um, existence and we've had to comply with it, um, I do have to say that the city has been extremely easy to work with. Um, in comparison to the county, I must say. Um, the city, when I've had to go with them and meet them at the property, because maybe there's some issue on the books with that property, they've been very good about um, pointing out the main things that need to be done. Um, they're not egregious. I've not had one property where the tenants have had to relocate. They're willing to work with the owners and with us to get things done. Um, sometimes when they've given us the time frame to do the work, we've had to ask for an extension and they've given us another month to get whatever done taken care of. Um, I also have to say that because of this, um, I've actually picked up business of owners who maybe were very hands-off, tenant you fix this yourself and not really wanting to be involved in maintenance or really knowing what's going on with the property as long as they got their rent. And now those owners have a long list of things they need to do. And those property owners are coming to me saying, can you handle this with the city? Can you fix it? And I go out and inspect some of these properties and I'm like, oh my God, they're in bad shape. And so if it weren't for this program being in place, I believe the Santa Cruz, although in my opinion not real high, it's still expensive for the population in the area. And people are paying good rent for properties that aren't being maintained. All right, I Kathleen, I got a question for you real quick here. Does this mean yes. that you are not in favor of and will not sign this petition to put it to the voters? Um, I think that the voters, you know, I believe that people should vote on things, absolutely. But I am, I also think that, you know, people are making it sound like the, from what I'm hearing, is that the program's awful and the city won't work with you and people are losing housing. That's, in, in my experience of having been involved with this since the ordinance went into place, I have seen none of that. Right. And Kathleen, so you're... Put it out to the voters and let them vote on it. But, right. you know, I was initially against it, and now I feel that they've really done a good job of managing it and working with people. And not one of my properties have we lost tenants or they've had to move out. And, Kathleen, do you, do you pass your... We, we're going to have to hold this over to the next hour because we're right at 11 a.m. on KSU Santa Cruz, Salinas, Monterey, San Jose. It's 11. Back in six. News. I'm Jim Taylor. Chapo Guzman, captured. Who is he? 
CBS investigative reporter Pat Milton. In 2013, the Chicago Crime Commission named Chapo public enemy number one due to his influence in the criminal network in Chicago, although there was no evidence that Chapo ever had been in Chicago. But the drugs run by his Sinaloa drug cartel did turn up their billions of dollars worth. Guzman taken down by DEA and Mexican authorities in Mazatlan today. In Ukraine, CBS's Holly Williams with the latest on the president there. There's been speculation all day here in Kiev that uh, President Viktor Yanukovych might be about to resign. We saw him interviewed on Ukrainian television. He said he wouldn't resign. He wouldn't sign anything. And he described the protesters as bandits who are terrorizing the country. There are some reports that Yanukovych has attempted to leave the country. He is not in Kiev where the legislature is taking action, scheduling new presidential elections in May. The men's U.S. hockey team pre-games confidence replaced by post-game frustration. We're live now with CBS's Steve Futterman in Sochi. Jim, today's bronze medal game was quite simply an embarrassment for the Americans. The final score tells the story. Finland 5, the U.S. nothing. After the game, you could hear the frustration in the voice of U.S. Captain Zach Parise. It's never easy. Um, no, none of these games are easy in this tournament. I just... I, I don't know. The U.S. men came here with thoughts of gold medals. They will leave here with absolutely nothing. Steve Futterman, CBS News at the Winter Olympics in Sochi. Wide-ranging impact of the California drought. Here's KCBS's Margie Schaefer. The water shortage is putting some communities on the brink of running dry. Omar Correa with the Community Water Center has received calls from residents in Orange Cove outside Fresno. They've said their wells have gone dry and their neighbors are helping each other by connecting hoses between the homes. Potential public health issues include breathing problems from increased dust and vector-borne disease in stagnant water. The testimony was offered at a state legislative hearing examining the impact of the drought. Margie Schaefer, CBS News, San Francisco. At the Vatican, something that's never happened before, CBS's Sabrina Castelfranco reports. It's unprecedented in modern history. Pope Emeritus Benedict and Pope Francis both in St. Peter's Basilica for a ceremony to create new cardinals who will one day elect their successor. After his surprise arrival, Benedict went to the front of the basilica where Pope Francis greeted him and Pope Benedict took off his white skull cap in a sign of respect and obedience to Francis. A major flaw in, Ape, in Apple's mobile devices. It allows hackers easy entry. Here's CBS News CNET technology consultant Larry Maggot. It's especially troublesome considering how many people log on from public Wi-Fi networks, which are particularly vulnerable when it comes to unencrypted data. This is CBS News. Mom, I can't do my math homework. I just don't get it. I'm no good at math. I hate math. I've always considered myself a good mother, but when it came to my son Billy's math, I was at a loss. It wasn't that he didn't try, but he kept falling further behind and losing confidence. Then a friend told me about Math Made Easy DVDs. You can order any subject from arithmetic to fractions, percents, algebra, even calculus. Concepts are simplified in an entertaining way, so students enjoy learning at their own pace in the convenience of home. It's as easy as watching TV. Best of all, it's affordable for everyone. Listen, end the frustration. Call Math Made Easy. Call now for a 30-day risk-free trial. 800-USA-MATH. With Math Made Easy, your child will always be prepared and one step ahead. Call now, 800-USA-MATH. That's 800-USA-6284. Or visit us at mathmadeeasy.com. 
You have it tuned in to KSCO AM 1080 and sister station KOMY AM 1340, serving Santa Cruz, San Jose, Salinas, Monterey, and Watsonville. Currently four minutes past 11 a.m. on Saturday, February 22nd, 2014. Currently 59 degrees outside KSCO Studios. Your friendly voice, Aaron Shore, with your local king of the hill traffic and central coast weather. Happy to report, in and around Santa Cruz County, no traffic hazards, collisions, or vehicles traveling below the limit. All in the clear out there. This includes all county roads in and around Santa Cruz County, as well as highways 1 and 17, both in the north and southbound directions. Looks like still in place on Highway 17 southbound direction between Santa's Village Road and the county line just outside of Scotts Valley. The number two lane is closed due to shoulder work. It was expected to clear up at 9 a.m. this morning, however, it has been delayed. Also, near Glen Canyon and the Mount Hermon area of Highway 17, number two lane is closed due to tree construction that is expected to clear up shortly after noon this afternoon. Lane number one is open, however. Your weather forecast for the northern Monterey Bay Central Coast, highs in the upper 60s, light winds, Drifting westbound 5 to 10 miles per hour as the afternoon progresses. Your northern Monterey Bay coastal water forecast for today. Currently north winds 10 to 20 knots. Wind waves 2 to 4 feet. Northwest swell 5 to 7 feet at 11 seconds. Now approaching 6 minutes past 11 a.m. Again, you have it tuned in to KSCO AM 1080 and KOMY AM 1340. Serving Santa Cruz, San Jose, Salinas, Monterey and Watsonville. Stay tuned for hour number two of the Saturday special with MZ. Hour number two of Saturday special is brought to you by Los Animas Concrete and California Grill in Freedom. And now here is MZ. Uh, actually, here, here's the hour number two jingle because we just couldn't function without playing the hour number two jingle to officially kick off hour number two. could only hear what Rotkin and Premack are, are saying privately to themselves here. If you could only hear it! Oh, it's too bad you can't hear it. I'm sorry, baby, but I really gotta go to KSCO Radio. Bye. Alright, and um, so... I, I forgot who we had on the line, but we uh, from last hour, uh, Catherine. But Catherine isn't here anymore, so I said we'd hold her over, but she hung up or got disconnected somehow. I don't know what it was, but in any case, uh, here we are. Welcome to hour number two of the Saturday special. Yeah, Mark Premack. Well, I'm sorry we missed Catherine because uh, I was curious to know whether her uh, rental management agency is a local agency, uh, how large they are. Um, uh, and um, and I'm also curious to know whether um, whether the uh, rental uh, inspection fees are passed by that agency to the tenants, so the tenants are paying. For you that. can try calling us back four seven nine ten eighty, Catherine. And I think we've got a line or two available here. But right now, uh, let's go back to the phone lines 
And let's see, there's Maria in Santa Cruz. Let's see what Maria in Santa Cruz has to say. Hi, Maria in Santa Cruz. You're on the air on KSCO. Thank you. Hi, I am a longtime uh, Santa Cruz renter. I've been here about 17 years and have enjoyed living in the community. Um, I've had various experiences with different units that were both legal and illegal. And the place where I was the happiest was in an illegal unit. I was there for 10 years. I loved my landlord. It was a little bit funky, um, but it was safe. And it was a great place to raise my son. And it was extremely affordable, which is why I stayed there as long as I did. And um, it's frustrating that to hear about this ordinance because I don't feel that it's really going to address the bad apples out there. It's going to end up having people who are already more or less complying um, either with, with legal units or people whose units are kind of on the edge but not quite legal, and that the people who are extremely uh, kind of the, the, the typical cockroach landlord who's providing an unsafe place, those people are not going to be caught up in this at all. And if you have someone like me who had a very win-win situation with my landlord who, who his place wasn't quite legal, but it was it was pretty nice and it was affordable and he liked me and I liked him and this thing's going to end up driving people like me who are financially on the edge out and I don't want to lose my, my home and my son's home. We lost our MZ here. Mark. Well, you know, I um, the work that I'm doing, the work that I've done is, um, I'd say it's work that I'm doing for you, Maria, but it's work that I'm doing for myself as well. I um, I own a home. I own a, uh, I own property in Santa Cruz. I'm uh, as well positioned as anybody to benefit from the housing scarcity, from the uh, from uh, real estate uh, uh, prices going up. But I refuse to forget that uh, when I came here, I was young, uh, poor, and idealistic, and I wanted to stay in Santa Cruz. And this community made it possible for me to do that. And I, whenever I see rules or actions taken to uh, to deny people that opportunity, then that's when I uh, that's when I mobilize. So. It's my, my, my position on this is that if you really and truly want to crack down on people who are providing substandard renti- rental properties, then you should offer a reward to, like a substantial reward for people to call them in. Because if, if, it's, if it's really about safety, this ordinance will do nothing to address that. For, for the people who, who, who are the most egregious offenders of, 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 of housing. Could you, say, could you say why? Because, I mean, it seems to me if you have an inspection program and eventually everyone's going to be inspected, why wouldn't they catch the worst ones? Well, you think they won't. Why would that be? Because, and as someone who's rented here for a long time, and I, I doubt I'll ever be able to afford to, to own property in this area, those people tend to be really below the radar. And as a renter, I've seen them. When, when there are Craigslist postings for rentals, and you go out and you're looking and you're one of many people kind of, it, it's pretty desperate when, when you're at the lower end of the income scale and the, and the rents here are really, really expensive. And I'm a single mom. I'm part of America's working poor. I get zero assistance. And for me, it's incredibly hard 
to, to pay my bills and have an affordable place to live. No, and I, so, I get that, but I was asking why why you thought that places, let's say, that really are dangerous and so forth, the, the people that are, I think I'm quoting you correctly, the ones that are really problematic are somehow going to slide through and they'll never get caught. I'm just saying, why would that be the case? It seems to me like they're going to, the argument could be that they're going to catch too many, but why would they not catch the worst ones? I don't get it. Because because right now it's it's self-compliance, and unless you start inspecting everybody in Santa Cruz, you're not going to catch well, that. Well, they're going to inspect. They are going to inspect everybody every five years. Every no. unit, every rental but, unit but would be would be inspected. Everyone they know about. No, they have exactly they everyone you know about, and there are tons of them that nobody knows about. And event. There's a lot of word of mouth about this person has a place available and that person has a place available, and there are rentals yeah. uh, listed on Craigslist. And so unless you're out there, like, following who's renting what, um, it's not on your radar. And so the people who are going to comply are the people who already are decent landlords. And then some people like my old landlord, and this was in the county, it wasn't in the city, who, um, who say, yeah, okay, maybe I'll take advantage of this so I can bring my thing up. And, and be legit, but the people who are the worst offenders will not, you're not going to catch them unless you inspect every building in this area. Yes, we, we can, Maria, and I, I've recommended a solution to this to the city council. Uh, we have we have to make our uh, ADU ordinance as uh, liberal as possible to, uh, to allow the creation of as many units and uh, the legalization of as many units. And then we need to have an amnesty legalization program in which we give people 18 months or two years to bring their units into the fold, to register the units, to meet basic safety requirements, not building code, state building code, but basic safety requirements. And those units will be um, will be deed restricted as uh, as affordable units, affordable to low income people, and they will be uh, uh, inspected and regulated uh, uh, regularly for uh, whether it's 15 years or 20 years. But the people who have operated these units will give back to the community in uh, in in bringing them up to uh, basic uh, health requirements and bringing the rents down to affordable rates. And after that, and after that amnesty program is over, the city can then publish in our papers rent rates for illegal units and save and to alert tenants in the city of Santa Cruz that if you are living in an illegal unit, you should not be paying more than this amount of money per month for your unit. And if you have a problem with your landlord, if your landlord is gouging you in rent, contact us. And that is how we will deal with the, uh, with the bad guys in this situation, the people who are but not why willing. Don't you deal- why don't you deal with those bad guys up front? Because I had a win-win situation with my landlord where he was great, and I loved him. He loved me. We were super happy together. I was there for 10 years, and it was an affordable place to live, and, and we were okay with it being, like, a funky arrangement. And Well, maybe and, we should do it all at once. What, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe let me we just, should do it all this at once. Is Mike, let me, let me but, just... But, but, I'll wait. Let, let, me, let me speak. This is Mike. I, I just... The, the issue comes down to this. If you deal with any one individual case, let's take yours, it sounds completely reasonable that you had the situation that worked for it. It was a win-win, as you say. It worked for the landlord. It worked for you. It was a unit. Everything was fine. The question becomes, that's because they were ignoring the law and it was all working out. But what happens when everybody decides, well, the, the rules don't matter anymore. I don't have to have, I don't have to go have anybody inspect my building. I don't, nobody has to look at this to see whether the electric, electrical work is done right or anything else. I don't have to go for a permit. 
Well, it's just the Wild West. Everybody will do what they want to do. It's fine when it's one unit here or two units there. When you get to 3,000 units in a, in a town with 22,000 units in it, it's a significant percentage of the housing. Everybody agrees with that. It has a big impact. The idea that you can just look the other way and let these people do what they want, the people that believe in following the law follow it, and the people that don't care about the law do what they're going to do, that's not a, I don't think that's a sustainable situation. That's, the, as Mark was saying earlier, that's four decades of city councils looking the other way because mm-hmm. they're afraid to even understand what the problem is or how to deal with it. And it's not fair to, to me that if I want to follow the rules, I can't have an accessory unit, but my neighbor next door who ignores the rules, he can do whatever the hell he wants. There should be, I, should I, live I, by a set of laws and rules that require exactly. people to follow them. So whatever they are. If, if, if the rules are not good, if they're bad rules, if they, if they take, if they take away... Inspect them all. Inspect every house in Santa Cruz, because that's the only way you're going to catch everybody who's doing it. But if Otherwise, they're, if, if they're, they're hidden, Maria... Who, if they're if, hidden, sir, if you if you're, you're interrupting, okay, if you sorry. If, if, if you if you really want to crack down on it, then you need to inspect all the property. You right. need to inspect all every building, every all building them, in Santa Cruz, every property in Santa Cruz. So, um, and, and otherwise, you're selecting like people who are already on the radar or or right. on the edge of the radar, and those people are the ones who are already. Providing a, a fairly decent place to live, it's the ones who are the most egregious that are the ones that you really want to go after, who, where the places are pretty unsafe. And if you if you really wanted to address those, then provide some sort of a reward for the, either the people who are living in them or or neighbors for them to have a financial reward to yeah. to, to to call those people in and then find those scumbags You're because absolutely. they are scumbags. You're absolutely right. That uh, if there were going to be a, if there were going to be an ordinance, it should be inclusive and it should be everyone. And I've sat on planning commission zoning board next to uh, other of uh, community volunteers that I knew had uh, actually owned illegal units. And so, if we said this is going to be a blanket across the entire city and everyone is vulnerable, I'll tell you right now that rental inspection ordinance would be repealed uh, by popular decree uh, overnight because everyone always assumes that they're accepted. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to respond to that lady's thing. There's, there are state laws that do exactly what she said. They've been on the books for 30 years. Okay, and, and why aren't they, that's, that's what I, I, I actually think that we don't need another law like this. We just need to apply the ones that to, to, to enforce the ones that already exist. And with respect to the party thing and those houses, those are normally single, like, like the other gentleman was saying, they're usually full of college kids. It's a single family residence. They're packed to the gills with college students. And there are already laws to address that. So crack down on those people. Find the homeowners, regardless of whether they live here or out of town. We don't need more uh, more regulation. It's like enforce what's already on the books. Maria, let, Maria, let, let Harold finish his comment. Harold, you were on. Can I please respond? Look at Maria, me. let Harold finish his comment. Harold, go. There's already state laws in the civil code that does exactly what she wants to do. There's also a lady at the DA's office, at least one, there might be two, that enforces housing regulations on landlords. You just call them up. It's in the uh, Consumer Affairs Department. And then we also got senior legal aid, and we got legal aid that enforce those same laws. But the problem is, is the tenants have to say something to, to get the money. And, and I think you get four months rent back or something like that. There's a, there's a, it's a substantial financial penalty, but the, but the problem is, is the tenant has
has to turn their landlord in. And, and what she's saying is, and this is the problem, why it's been going on for 40 years. If you get cheap rent, you don't want to turn your landlord in. That's the whole reason that you're living there is because you're getting a really good deal. And if you're living in a really spiff, normal house, then the rent is twice or three times more. And, you know, I'm a landlord, and so I understand that. It, it, when you keep the rent kind of moderate or, or something, the tenants never move. And, I mean, uh, you know, and then you feel a little bit bad by not going over there all the time. So you look, things wear out a little bit. Now, that doesn't get to be substandard, but it's not spiff either. Like when people move in, when you get it all perfect, but then you raise the rent 50%. So that's, that's the problem. I, it's, it's the way I see it. Well, I was happy having a, 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 a reasonable rent that was affordable to me. I, I stayed there for 10 years. He was sad when I moved because I needed, and I moved into town so that I could be closer to public uh, transportation because out in the county it's, it's harder to do that. And if you only have one car and it breaks down, it makes it difficult. And so having more units available within the city where you can actually take public transportation is a fantastic thing. And I'm, I really appreciate that part of, of living here now and I'm living in an uh, a legal a legal uh, apartment and I and I have a great relationship with my landlord now um, but um, it's it's it, it, it's it's very hard when you are on the lower end of the income scale living here in in this area and it's also hard for people who buy houses I, I have a friend who recently bought a, pro a property and he paid six hundred and something thousand dollars and his uh, property tax alone is almost as much as what I'm paying in rent. So I see why landlords want to have some extra income being generated from their property. I really see both sides of this. Maria, and, th and thank you very much for a wonderful call to the KSCO Saturday special. Before you leave, I want to ask you, um, do you or have you signed the uh, petition to have this? I, I have to. I, I need to. Uh, I just moved to the city recently, and I will sign the petition to put it on the, the uh, to the vote because I believe that people have a right to vote for things that directly impact them. Okay. Hey, thanks very much for your call to the KSCO Saturday special. That opens up a line at four seven nine ten eighty. That's an area eight three one. Here's Judy in Santa Cruz. Welcome to KSCO, Judy. You're on. Oh, thank you for answering my call. I had a quick question. Um, where do you sign a petition? Is there a phone number or um, place? Yeah, Ron Cabot. Ron Cabot, go ahead and give a give a phone number. Okay. Uh, on our petition, we've got the name of Ann Stout. Ann Stout lives in the city of Santa Cruz, and Ann's telephone number is four two five one one seven zero. And you should also go to our SantaCruzRentalRights.com website to also familiarize yourself with some of the people who have already lost their housing because of this ordinance. Did you get that, Judy? Well, yes, I did, and thank you very much uh, for that information. I, my my comment is that as a libertarian, I really don't think that more government... Uh, programs and and uh, and policies are the way to go, and that's my last comment. Thank you. Okay, yeah, uh, thank you very much for calling the uh, Saturday special here. Uh, let's see, um, Mark in Santa Cruz, you're the next caller on the Saturday special. Hey, I'm opposed to any more regulations and another bloated bureaucracy. 
that absolutely does nothing but create problems and then come along and offer a solution. Hey, Mike, rotten. That's what you are. You are rotten, dude. Please. You have done nothing but destroy and tear apart a once good city. You and your little minions from up there on UCSC, hey, it's the truth. Hey, rotten. What part did you play in, in the water issue here in Santa Cruz County? Mark, 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 we want to we want to keep it we want to keep it to the topic, please. Okay, do you have any any comment on the topic today? Hey, either you believe in freedom or you don't. Okay. Mike Rotkin, you're a pilot. Uh, all right, okay, that's enough here. Uh, thank you for your call to the uh, Saturday special. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's see who's next. Uh, Jasmine in Watsonville. Jasmine, welcome to the Saturday special on AM 1080 KSCO. You're on. Good morning. Um, I've been a long-time renter in the city of Santa Cruz, and I have a couple of points. I'm, I'm for the repeal of the rental inspection ordinance for a number of reasons, and not first of which is privacy concerns. I really don't want some governmental agency coming into my rental and looking through my closets and under my bed, and I just happen to really enjoy my privacy, so that's one of my main concerns. I also believe this is, you know, redundant, repetitive government, so I'm against it on that grounds. And also, I went to a, a meeting, recent meeting that was held at the uh, police department community room, and I asked Mr. Curry, Alex Curry, the gentleman that works for the city that's administering this program, how many serious health and safety cases there were in all of the inspections, and he told me there were five. So that makes me feel like, you know, five out of all the inspections, and that came from him. So that makes me feel that this is more of a, you know, that that's sort of a smoke and mirrors type thing. I mean, this started out supposedly as a data collection tool, and then it devolved into health and safety, and now it basically has turned into code enforcement, and I'm very unhappy about that. I feel like it's a slippery slope, and I feel like the city is inconsistent administering um, these programs, and also um, I wanted to to uh, address Mike Rotkin. He says he's been on the city council for 26 years, Once. and yet he also said that, or however many that he's been on, I know it's been a long time multiple decades and yet he's the one that just said it's 40 years of the city council looking the other way so does that mean he's one of the city council members over these multiple years that he's been on the council that was looking the other way because the council did look the other way and he's been on the council so i was wondering what he had to say the answer is i've been working on this trying to work on this for 40 years not able to get four votes to do something about it that's the truth and the reality of it also this program did not begin as a data collection program with a slippery slope it was coded enforcement from the very beginning this um, and my understanding of this program is that it came out of an agreement with the university and the fact that the university is uh, supporting a city program financially uh, uh, for me that's incredibly suspicious and uh, and and something that that really uh, I think calls into question the trust we have for uh, government why is the university which uh, which charges amazing rents up on their campus exorbitant rents uh, and, and drives prices of housing up uh, uh, down on, uh, in our town. Why is the university supporting a program that abates 
uh, and, and raises the cost of housing in uh, Santa Cruz? Well, I think the answer is obvious, and it is uh, reprehensible. Let me just say, as the person who wrote the ordinance and worked on putting it in place, it was not started by the university through that discussion. It was, it was on, work had gone on it for a long time before the university got involved whatsoever. The university's motives in supporting it are certainly suspect, and uh, I, I don't have a problem with people challenging that if they like. Whatever the motives might be of the landlords that support this through the uh, Tri-County Apartment Owners Association or the Board of Realtors, I don't know what their motives are. We have lots of supporters of this. Lots of opponents, but I can speak very clearly to what caused this to happen. Concern about people living in these illegal units and not wanting on my watch while I was on the city council to have somebody die in a fire and say, weren't you guys paying attention? How come you slept through this and let this go on all these years? There's thousands of these. Lots of people could be hurt, and you guys ignored it, completely ignored it, which had people tell us that over the years, and finally was able to get four votes in favor of a well-organized and thoughtful program that's going to abate a small number of units and has now, I think, done a good thing in creating a discussion about what are the zoning and maybe those should be uh, relaxed or liberalized. Um, not on, on KSEO, I shouldn't say liberalized, but relaxed, let's say. And, it's okay to say liberalized. <laughs> but let's KSEO, just, say, let's okay. just say relaxed. And the, so the notion that somehow the university drove this or made this thing happen, and was the, the, the reason they say they support it is because they don't want to have their students living on safe housing. But I'll take a grain of salt. I'll take that with a grain of salt. I'm sure they also have an interest in keeping, being able to have, uh, fill the vacancies in their places on campus. But that's not what caused this program. It's not the it's not where it came from, and and this is not something you have to take my word for. You can go back and check the council meetings where this thing got introduced long before we had any discussions with the university about this program. In but fact, you, it's even more appropriate to call it a liberal radio station because that's what happened to us. We've become a liberal station, and a lot of conservatives are not happy about that at all. Well, I think the evidence here that uh, this entire program, for all the cost and all the misery that's caused has turned up five units that are unsafe. Uh, I think that speaks volumes. I, I, think I, don't, we have I don't think that's an accurate uh, number, Mark, but go ahead. And, and, um, and so, you know, let me just say that. And you know, At some point you just say, we have this massive program. We have uh, people who are hired and fees to pay their salaries and uh, work other work in the city that's not being done. And we have uh, five... Uh, units out of all that have been uh, inspected that have been found to uh, 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 fail uh, in terms of uh, safety. So Mike's concerns about safety, uh, that's the answer. And uh, and I think that if that's truly the reason that we're going after units is for the safety and the health and welfare, then Howard's absolutely right. We have rules, we have laws that uh, are there to enforce it. And um, and if you look at uh, the the burden that this has put on the city and the cost it's been to uh, to the citizens and the city itself, and you say and you, and you divide that by five units, there are more effective ways of uh, supporting uh, safety in Santa Cruz. And I, you know, I'm an architect, and I've been. A, uh, Mark, you know, say a you know more than five dangerous units in the city of Santa Cruz. I certainly do, because I've walked the streets of Santa Cruz, and I can tell you that there are so many death traps in this city that are legal houses, legal units. There is so the, the our housing stock is not uh, is an arcane, uh, 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 old. Um, uh, rickety housing stock for the most part. There are many people, the majority of people are living in quote, unsafe conditions. So if the we majority? actually did inspect wow. all the properties in Santa Cruz, we'd all be 
called to uh, task on uh, on safety issues. So, so uh, you know, Maria was right. This should be uh, if it's either everybody or uh, we should uh, step back and rethink this. All right, but Jasmine, I think is still on the line, right? Jasmine, you're there. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, Mike thinks that you, that that's the five uh, units have, have found a not compliant. After all, this is not an accurate number. What was the reason? Where did you get that? That I got that directly from Mr. Curry at the community meeting. He said that I asked him out of the 72 units, he stated the 72 number is the 72 units have been abated. But I asked him how many were serious health and safety issues, and he told me five. But the question then becomes, if I can ask, you know, and you might not know the answer, but how many of the units that they inspected, which was way more than 70, there's 70 that they want to have abated. How many units did they find that had illegal and dangerous conditions that the city staff helped the people fix and that those have now been made into legal units? That's a very different question than how many of these 70 that they had to abate were based on uh, uh, health and safety versus uh, zoning code issues. I don't know the answer to that, but I will, as an interested citizen, I will go down to the planning department and find some more details to get um, sure, through that, the minutiae that's of all a good this. Because the fact is, when you, I mean, again, I, the reason I asked ask that question of Mark, we all know that there's a large number of really dangerous units throughout the city, and I, I myself know lots of them and stuff, and basically, you know, they need to be dealt with and responded to, and this, this was a way to do it without having it become, which was an alternative that someone suggested here today, having neighbors all turning each other in. The idea that we're going to all have this, like everybody create neighborhood fights, turn your neighbors in, uh, have a fight with them about stuff. It's better to have a program that sets what are the rules and have the city enforce that rather than having people basically you know the kind of thing where uh, let's let's have everybody ratting out their neighbors which creates neighborhood conflicts that we don't really need to have more of in this town so mike would you support uh enlarging this ordinance to uh to be a residential inspection ordinance so that all residences in the city of santa cruz are inspected for health and safety i think that makes sense at some point to do it you got to start somewhere and my view is that the worst units in the city are the rental units based on the fact that the, there's money involved in this and the, per- the people that are suffering from the bad units are not are not the ones that own them and that's again i could be wrong but i I, but I don't think I am. I think that, I think common sense tells you that a person who owns a property is not going to live in the kind of same kind of slum that a person who's forced to rent one from somebody else is going to live in. It's just how you frame it, Mike. You could say that somebody whose uh, income depends on having uh, a, a renter who's paying rent uh, is going to guard their investment, is going to make sure that uh, that the income flow continues. I mean, you could you could frame this argument any way you want. The fact is that on all levels there are good people and there are bad people. There are responsible people and irresponsible people. It doesn't make any difference, really, in the long run, whether they live on the premises or off the premises, whether they live in town or out of town. You're dealing with human nature, and uh, there are property owners who are uh, responsible, and there are property owners that aren't. And uh, and and this is uh, this you, you you can't make these kind of generalities. Right. Time time to move on to our next caller. Thank you. Jasmine in Watsonville, great call. Uh, Jen in Santa Cruz, you're on the air on KSCO. Jen in Santa Cruz. Hello, Jen in Santa Cruz. Jen must be relieving nature, nature's internal Hello? pressure. Oh, oh, Jen, is that you? Oh, this is Ken. Ken. Oh, okay, it's Ken in Santa Cruz. <laughs> Aaron, it's Ken, not Jen. Okay, no wonder. You're on the air, Ken. It's Jen. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to say hi to Mike. Uh, I know uh, Mike from uh, from uh, the dealings he had on the boards, uh, and uh, I've just been knowing him for a long time. I, I worked at the Mister for many years, and uh, 
and I've known him, so I want to say hi to him. But anyway, um, uh, I, I heard that uh, that gal um, uh, Maria. She said a lot of she said a lot of good stuff. Uh, uh, kind of high strung, but she did say a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff. And and this this uh, this deal with a double edged sword. You know, a double edged sword we know cuts both ways, and 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 that's what this is right here because of the fact that 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 I heard one of you say. That uh, there's a reward uh, for uh, you turning in your landlord if you uh, have some servient places that that he's he's renting out. Well, then you're going to have people that just go there and not pay their rent for five months, and then when the landlord puts them out, they turn around and turn them in for for having a, a place that's uh, that's a, a subservient place. So so I mean that's a that's a double-edged sword, and, and don't you think people are not, aren't aren't going to use that? We live in Santa Cruz County right here. Everybody knows that this place, everybody wants to be here, and it's a, and it's a, uh, the rent is just totally outrageous. So anybody that has a place that they could even say that it's a dwelling, a garage, uh, a washer room that, that's big enough so somebody to put a cot, they're going to put a, uh, uh, just like the gal said on, on Craigslist, they're going to put a rent sign saying, hey, I got a space for rent. And somebody, somebody is going to, go and rent the place. But just like Mike said, usually the landlord who owns the place, he's not going to live there because he's not going to want to live in a place that somebody wants to live that doesn't, that doesn't have any uh, that doesn't have any money. And and and, uh, and I, I heard Mike say that oh, for a while that uh, people uh, uh, that the city council turned a, a blind eye for. Yeah, I, I I know they have. In order for in order for this many of the units to uh, to go on, yeah, they turn a blind eye for. Now they have to look at it, and now they have to deal with it. It's like that big lump in the room under your carpet. You swept the dust under it. Now you know everybody's tripping on. So, so they have to pull it up and clean the dirt from under it. Now. And unfortunately, there's going to be a couple of people that are going to suffer for it. But like Maria said, some of these people are going to be good people. You know, and, and, the, and the people that, that, that what you could call a slumlord, and I, I've seen some here in Santa Cruz, don't you think? Oh, yes. <laughs> They're going to be the ones that, uh, that are going to get over on people. And uh, just like you said, every single unit would have to be. Uh, looked at, and uh, I know it's going to be a big task, but you know you have to start. You have to start someplace. But I just don't want the good people to get penalized, and then uh, and then the other people go under the radar. Yes. Okay. Ken in Santa Cruz, not Jen in Santa Cruz. Thank you for calling yeah. Yeah. the okay. Saturday special. Now, Margaret Can in I Santa Cruz. To that? Oh yeah. Go ahead, Harold. Hello? Yeah. Wait wait a Hello? second, Ma Margaret. You're on next, but, but Harold wants to respond. Go ahead, Harold, quick. The, the, the thing that he just said was, I think what he just said, the last two comments were, is we should have something that, re that covers all of the residential dwelling units, not just the ones where the landlord is, is not living on the property. It should be all residential things. I think Mark said that there's a lot of substandard houses all over the city. Okay, so... If, if Alex Curry said there was five serious things that he caught in, in this group of people that they're inspecting, I think we should revert back to the state law, which is called the Uniform Housing Code. It's a state law. The city has adopted it as its housing code program. Yeah, it's, unif it's, it's Uniform Building Code, actually. The city no, ordinances. No, it's Uniform Housing Code. There's a huge Uniform Housing Code. And so that's already part of the city ordinances, and it's also part of the state law. And we should just enforce that law applies to all dwelling units, whether the, it's 
owner-occupied or not. Just because somebody owns a house and he's living in there, we shouldn't turn a blind eye to that and say it's okay if, if homeowners live in a substandard building or a dangerous unit any more than we should say the tenants should. And, and not wanting to keep the person on the phone waiting longer, but the city of Sebastopol has uh, an accessory uh, unit ordinance that basically says that if you have a building that was built with codes for whatever use, garage, shed, um, structure, you can create an accessory unit in it as long as you conform to the very housing code that Howard is referring to. We have tools that we can use to bring uh, undocumented units into the fold if we want to use them. Unfortunately, this uh, this uh, rental inspection ordinance uh, dropped like a bomb in the middle of efforts to actually uh, come up with some uh, really equitable solutions here. Okay, um, Harold, uh, um, hopefully you had your piece here or there. Uh, Margaret, it is your turn. Thanks for waiting. I thought you had hung up, but I see you called back. Yeah. Undocumented units house undocumented illegal border crossers. The city council proclaims a resolution and, and proclamation that we are a sanctuary city for the illegal border crossers. So, I mean, it's just like if the city council proclaims Santa Cruz a sanctuary city for desert camels, and we have an influx of camels roaming the streets. No feed, no no riders. I mean, wouldn't the council be responsible for providing a desert for the camels? So this is because of our sanctuary city status that is advertised all over the world. They have they they want the illegals in here. That causes the demand. Otherwise, we have more homeless. And I also believe that these rental inspectors not only are snooping and reporting on the rentals, but they're also getting a covert means for grabbing your kids with a CPS. And I agree with Mike about Mike Rot. He's rot to the core, rot to the bone, rot to the marrow. Enough. <clears throat> Come on, let's not make this personal. Just And please stick to the topic. Well, they advertise come to Santa Cruz for approval. It's not the topic. Thank you, Margaret. Um, but Thomas at the summit, you're next. You've been well, waiting a while. If I could just say that, um, just to address what, if there were germane comments there, uh, uh, you know, I've I've lived in Santa Cruz for I don't know 38 years. I've uh, I'm an architect. I've designed buildings that I think add to this community's uh, character and uh, vitality. I've uh, donated, uh, contributed thousands of hours to this community through nonprofit organizations, through work uh, with the city. Um, I was a renter for 17 years in the city of Santa Cruz, and I lived in illegal units. So if when we start talking about profiling uh, the type of people who live in undocumented housing, I think it's far broader than uh, the last speaker claimed. Okay, Thomas, in the at the summit, you're on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. What a subject. Uh, how loaded. Uh, I just want to give my personal experience. I was a renter, and I lost my home essentially because of an illegal unit. I moved into a house, a two-bedroom house. I paid half the rent in the mid or late 80s. It was like maybe 800 for a bedroom. And I lived there for three or four months, and then somebody decided to put uh, an illegal unit in the garage right on my bedroom wall, right by my head. And pretty soon there was personal uh, 
you know, there were noises that I don't even want to describe on the radio going on right by my ears, and I think lost my own because of an illegal unit. You know, I, I made a fair contract. I decided to pay the full rent. That was a lot of money in the mid-'80s. And eventually I had to leave out. But, uh, I had to leave because I lost my peace. I worked for the railroad. I worked odd hours. I couldn't sleep any longer when I wanted. I couldn't have my peace ever because this person moved in and made all kinds of strange noises at all times of the day or night. So it's a problem. Well, are you going to sign that certificate, that uh, uh, petition? You know, I don't know enough to say. Right now, I'm leaning with Mike Rock, and I hear an intelligent man trying to find a, a workable solution. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for calling, and thank you for waiting a long time to get on the air here on the Saturday special. Chapman. Chapman? Is there a Chapman in Santa Cruz? Yes. Yes. You're on. Uh well, I'd like to make a couple points. I'm I am uh, a property owner and a landlord, and also a resident of Santa Cruz who's had to make er, earlier in my life and in, in various ways, uh, including having room, roommates and things that have converted garages and all sorts of stuff. So I've seen it from both sides. But uh, my issue is a as somewhat of a constitutional issue. Uh, Despite how wonderful the city, they say that the city is about coming to help you solve problems, that's not always been my uh, experience. And I would say that probably a lot of other people who've dealt with uh, code enforcement might not consider them coming to help so much. So my my issue is a constitutional one. If if the code enforcement officers would like to come inspect the property, then they need uh, need to have um, probable. Or, or, or some reasonable cause to come to find uh, a problem, and, and if they don't have that, I think the uh, the Fourth Amendment is is written about that that they're not supposed to just be general inspections to find problems. And this rental ordinance basically is saying that they have the right to come look for problems in the house, in any house that they consider a rental, and I. I Question whether or not they're going to know which ones are the rentals or not. They they seem to think that if your property taxes aren't sent there, that it's a rental. Uh, they sent me letters that said one of mine's a rental, a rental, and my girlfriend lives there, and they want me to prove this and that about about that it's not a rental. And I I feel that that's an invasion of my rights to have to send them letters proving anything about my house. It's my house. Uh, I don't live there at the moment, but. I come over here, I'm actually here at my girlfriend's now, and it's not their right to, to quiz me on what I do with my house. I bought a house in this town, it's not a public property, it's not a business, it's a house. Mike Rotkin, would you disagree with, with Chapman in Santa Cruz, the current caller? Well, both on that topic, both I and the courts disagree with him because they make determination that if you have a reasonable public uh, purpose, 
which, you know, finding illegal and dangerous units is a reasonable public purpose that, in fact, you have some ability that it wouldn't be unconstitutional to have an inspection program. These been, they've been tested in the courts in several cities and other places, and so he can certainly assert that it's – I mean, I understand that he's raising the question about privacy under the Fourth Amendment. I can tell him that constitutionally he's not going to be successful in terms of handling it in the courts, so let's take it as an argument rather than a legal question. You know, is it, is it un unreasonable to, to look in people's homes? If, in fact, the inspectors were looking, as earlier callers suggested, looking in people's closets and under their beds and, you know, looking for personal stuff about people, there would be a problem. I'd have a problem with it. But there's no evidence that that's what they're doing. They're looking for, you know, are the codes being met? Is there Are there windows in every bedroom? Is, you know, I won't go through the whole list. But, um, again, how, how you carry these programs out is, is important. It's important to me that we not have city officials. Let me just finish. That we, that, we not have city, that we not have city officials who are like, you know, going beyond the, what their charge is, which is to look for the violations of the codes and sort of get into your personal stuff. And I have heard no stories of people doing that kind of thing. But, again, I'm not saying there wouldn't be some... I wasn't suggesting that. Oh, okay. Well, then... But it, it, happened. Happened. But it has that. happened. There's testimony before the city council that uh, inspectors have come onto properties and then gone on on the same property to uh, to observe and comment and uh, on uh, other violations Absolutely. unrelated to the rental and then the people were told that they could not uh, continue with their rental until they abated these other things. So but I think there has Mark, been... I think the big people are talking about the rental, rental inspectors invading your personal space to like, you know, raise questions about like, you know, who's sleeping in which bedrooms and stuff, which is not the case. I, I don't know how fine a point cameras. they're putting on it, Mike. They do come in with cameras. They came into my unit. They've inspected my unit two years in a row now. They found nothing wrong with the unit. And do you know why I have them inspect me? No. Okay, because with the data list, there's a statement that says you're going to perjure yourself if there's any violation yeah. on that statement. And I'm, I, why should I, I find do, something like that? I agree. You're correct with the Fourth Amendment also. Uh, the last time we were inspected, they came in with an iPad. And they could, take cam they could take camera pictures with that iPad. We also have a letter from the city council, from the, I should say from the uh, Santa Cruz city, that said that if the inspectors come across anything that they believe is illegal in that tenant, in that tenant's unit, they will report it to the authorities. And we've got that from the, from the city. It's not that we made that up. So the tenants have the Fourth Amendment right to basically say, no, we don't want you on here, in here. And I would like you to tell us how many summons, how many summons or warrants has the city actually gotten to go into some place? That's because this, this ordinance bullies people. Well, I've talked to tenants who have been bullied out of their Fourth Amendment rights. They say, yes, I know I have a right under the Fourth Amendment, both the state and the federal Fourth Amendment, to tell them to go, you know where. They don't have to come in. But you know what? It's the government. They don't and have they, they don't have that right, and again, the courts have just, on this because I've done research on this because I, when I was working on the ordinance, I want to know what's legal, what can you do that constitutional and legal. And I'm a member of the American Civil Liberties Union. I'm not in favor of people having their rights violated. And you look at the instructions that are which are public that are given to the city inspectors about what they are and are not supposed to do, it's very clear that they're, they're trained and made very clear to them that they're not supposed to go in there and start to, like, poke in your private business. They're trying to enforce the code that has that exists for the, the, the city laws. And when you go into bedrooms, etc., that is poking into people's private business. Furthermore, I want to say something about bullying. You particularly, Mike, mm -hmm. 
told me when I brought this issue up in front of the city council that you, you have the right to bulldoze the house. That was your answer to my not wanting to cooperate with this. First of all, I'm and sure I never used, that, never used that phrase. But right, go, go back going. and look. At, it, it, it's in public record. Okay. Everybody was, was there. But the point is, if it's an, they do have a right to an abate a unit, and I'm sure I said that in public, if it found to be illegal now, you and, use the word and can't be fixed. Okay, okay uh, you know, I want to say that there's no doubt in my mind that uh, that Mike, Mike's heart is in the right place. And I think my heart was in the right place when I uh, pushed for uh, liberalization of the ADU ordinance so that more uh, ADUs could be created. And I would get phone calls from people saying, we went down to the city and said we want to do an ADA. And they told us we had to do ADU and we had to do this and we had to do that. And I'd sit there and say, that's not what the ordinance says. Why are they making you do this? They said, well, they're the authority. They told us we had to do this. When you write rules, I sometimes joke that, you know, just as they say uh, uh, a chicken is an egg's way of making another egg, that an ordinance is just a bureauc- one bureaucrat's way of making another bureaucrat. And when you uh, hire people to these bureaucratic administrative positions, you give them a very short list of rules, and then you send them out to do the best they can. And um, and what we know, and, uh, and Mike knows very well, is that that fifty uh, percent uh, of government is discretion. It's understanding when to apply or uh, rules and how to re- apply them. And when you bring, as soon as you add administrators and you send uh, people out who are uh, who have very little background in what they're doing, then you're susceptible to the types of things that we're talking about here, people uh, coming out and, and, and wanting to look at other things, wanting to do their job better or, or more intensely or or uh, personality issues if they don't like the people that, uh, or, or if they're getting lip from the people that they're uh, inspecting. You get, you're, you're in that human realm and there's all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of uh, unintended consequences from that. So the degree to which we uh, we create that kind of regulation, that kind of oversight, is the degree that we open ourselves up to abuse. Cha- uh, Chaplain, thank you for your... Please? Real quick, we got to move on. There are a lot of other callers okay. here. Okay, check this out. What Greg was saying is, is basically like this. In the court case, the, the appellate court wrote, the ordinance requires inspectors to obtain the consent of the landlord and the tenant before an inspection may, may take place. Those are the rules, but when the inspectors come out, they don't say, we need your permission. They order you to allow an inspection. That's the problem that, that Mark just was, was dealing with right here. You, you make these rules, but that doesn't mean that the city staff is following the laws. You know, from, from all the reports we've had, and there have been lots of them and stuff, the evidence is pretty clear that with a few ex- possible few exceptions, that the city staff enforcing this thing have been very even-handed about it. They've done their best to help people legalize their units when they could do it. Of course that they're not That they're not walking in there and basically trying, you know, their job is not to abate every unit and make them all go away. It's to save they as many units, it's to save as many units as they can. And there's lots of evidence that that's the case from people who don't like the ordinance. That the staff have done a good... evidence that people have had a really hard time with code inspectors in this town, too. And that's, that's, that's it's, it's okay. not always... Chapman, th- right? thanks for your call. hate to do this, but we got to move on. Uh, Steve Hartman uh, sent an email. Steve Hartman? Yeah, he, he, Steve lives in, uh, in Montana. Montana. But, uh, but, yeah, he... he uh, Aaron uh, showed, told me here to read the uh, thing here. It's in the Hi, email. Steve. Good morning, Hi, Steve, Michael. if you're listening. Good morning, Michael. I feel the rental inspection program was a scheme cooked up by the progressives and UCSC for the benefit of UCSC, 
but not necessarily the students. Remember the original thought was that the program would wipe out 2,000 rental units in the city. This would cause a housing shortage, which would in turn force more students back to campus to pay ultra-exorbitant rents to the college. This program should be axed. It's a scam. And while the rental inspection department says it's operating at near cost, and I believe them, I think the real money is being made via the building inspection department via the cost for permits. That said, I have to deal with the rental program firsthand. I've had to deal with Alex Curry, Curry and his staff firsthand. Both he and his staff bent over backwards to help me shuffle through the system to get my housing accredited. I am grateful. Um, let's see. Remember, those uh, who con us sit at the top. The folks in the rental inspection or building inspection or any other city department are merely workers with a job with jobs to do. Most do it well. Thanks, Michael. Steve in Montana. And let's just say, I think Steve Hartman's credentials as an anti-regulation person are pretty secure. Is that fair, Michael? <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. And yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, echo what Steve said. Um, you know, um, uh, I work with uh, people down in the planning department. I've, I know, I've known these people for 30 years, some of them. Uh, they are wonderful people. They're hardworking people. Their hearts are in the right place. They're doing the best they can with whatever they're handed. And uh, Alex Corey is a gem in the city of Santa Cruz, one of the kindest people I've ever met. It's not like uh, I'm, I want to paint a picture of ruthlessness on the part of, uh, of planners and administrators. They are doing the best they can with what they are handed. Um, but um, but we can't have generalities on uh, any side of this. We can't say that everybody who has an undocumented uh, 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 unit, a uh, dwelling, is uh, is ruthless. Um, we can't, uh, and, and has ulterior motives or financial motives, just as we can't say that Mike is a, uh, an employee of the a university, therefore he's a tool of the university. This is not... Um, we're, we're talking about human beings here trying to get by in the city of Santa Cruz. And, okay, we have uh, fewer than yeah, three minutes quickly, left. Just before you, let me just say quickly, something we can agree on here, I believe. It is important for us to, re as Marcus suggested earlier, for us to look at these actual requirements, the codes that do affect the zoning codes and some of the building codes perhaps, but particularly the zoning codes, and figure out what does what is the community view of those things, which of those could be lo loosened up so that we would allow more affordable housing to be built or kept. And that's something I think we both of us support, and I assume a lot of the other people who otherwise don't like the rental or inspection ordinance, that's at least one positive thing that can come out of this that we can agree on, even though we strongly disagree about the rental ordinance. Okay. We have Pete in Santa Cruz, Phil in Santa Cruz, and Jan in San Lorenzo Valley waiting a long time. Jan has. But I want to get Pete on first here. Pete, real quick, 30 seconds. We want to get everybody in. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rockin went on at some length uh, a little while ago about uh, concern about congestion, and I would just suggest that if Mr. Rockin were concerned about congestion, he would have, in his 26 years on city council, not prevent, did all he could to prevent an eastern access to the university. Thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, Phil in Santa Cruz, you're on KSCO. Uh, uh, Phil, you got to hurry here. Sorry. Yes. Is, is is anybody getting to the fundamental questions about 
uh, invasion of privacy, the flagrant violation. Yeah, we've we've gone through all that. You obviously tuned into the end. You you have to listen. You, you can listen to the program on demand at ksco.com, uh, or you can listen yes, to the rerun tonight from 10 p.m. to midnight. Okay, that's it. Thank you, uh, Jan and San Lorenzo Valley. You've waited a long time. Quick. Yes, um, I think it comes down to a couple issues here. Uh, one. I think uh, we need to check and see what promises were made by UCSC when they were allowed in. Mike says that this was not done because UCSC wants it, but I contend that this was done because UCSC created this problem. Point two, our, rep our planning department has a very bad reputation. When I was working with Harold Griffith on some other issues, we got Tom Burns, head of the ha uh, planning department, it's Mike Deming, and David yeah, Lee yeah, yeah. to quit because they were not qualified okay. for their job yeah so so jan thank you I, I know you waited element. a long time but that that's it uh that's it for the program okay, uh, actually thank you. um okay uh, uh mark uh mike uh ron um <laughs> you guys Harold. are great thanks for coming to the okay go ahead ron you can say something real quick oh very briefly i yeah. did under the california public records act uh issue questions to uh, reports or requests with the UC Santa Cruz and the city and the UC has spent literally hundreds of thousands of tax dollars and tuition dollars given to them by the children of that UC Clearly for this gonna, program. We're going to have to do follow, follow up to this program. Uh, um, and so that's it. See you next time. KSCO Santa Cruz, Salinas, Monterey, San Jose. It's coming up on 12 noon, and uh, CBS News will be coming up. You can hear this program rerun tonight between 12, uh, 10 and 12 p.m. Most wanted man in Mexico, most wanted drug lord in the world, captured by authorities in Mexico today. CBS's Adrian Bard reports. This is the biggest fish of all. Up until today, Joaquin Guzman was considered to be untouchable by many. After 13 years as a fugitive, he was nabbed in the resort town of Mazatlan in his home state, Sinaloa, according to U.S. law enforcement sources. His Sinaloa cartel is one of those involved in Mexico's drug wars, but El Chapo, as he is known by his alias, is a household name in Mexico and throughout Latin America. Because so many of the drugs he controlled ended up in Chicago, that city named Guzman public enemy number one. Change in the Ukraine welcomed by the White House. Opposition leader Yulia Tymoshenko released from prison today. Here she is just now speaking to anti-government protesters. The country's president fleeing from Ukraine's capital, posting a televised message of defiance before taking off. CBS's Holly Williams. He went on to compare the protesters to the Nazis in the 1930s uh, and said that they had tried to seize power. In Kiev, the legislature already setting new presidential elections in May. He went to Rome to study. His body found today. The dead body of 21-year-old Bates student John Durkin, who was studying in Rome, has been found. Durkin was reported missing on Wednesday night. He had been last seen at Sloppy Sam's, a popular bar in the central Campo dei Fiori Square. His body, now identified, was recovered by police early Thursday morning in a railway tunnel after a report that someone had been run over by a train. Investigations are ongoing. Sabina Castle-Franco, CBS News, 
room. How dry it is. From the Pacific Northwest to communities along the Gulf Coast, 18 states west of the Mississippi are experiencing drought conditions. On average, less than half an inch of rain fell across Texas in January. And February... Looks like it's coming in about the same level, which will... Put the combined January-February among the five driest on record. Texas state climatologist John Nielsen-Gammon says should these conditions continue, this year's drought could rival the worst on record here. August Skamanka, CBS News, Houston. Gay couples in Chicago lining up to get married. I now pronounce you spouses for life. Charlie Gurian and David Wilk tied the knot first thing this morning. I mean, it's amazing that Illinois same-sex couples we treated completely equal. It still seems unreal, and we're just really enjoying the moment. They had champagne waiting in the car. First Uh, we get coffee. It's really early. Charlie's mother, Joanne, said she was proud to be a citizen of Illinois. I'm just overwhelmed with joy. Mike Krauser, CBS News, Chicago. This is CBS News. When we ran out, we stopped using it. Why would you stop? Why undo all the good that's been accomplished? We thought everything was fine, and that was not a good thing. No, 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 no. He started stinking. It was awful. Shedding comes back, loss of hair, lots of dandruff. Scratching will return. The shedding will increase. If I ever took Roy off the Dynavite, he would go back to his hair loss. <gasps> D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. When I get down to the bottom of my box of when I get to about three quarters. Oh, no. I've got a couple more scoops. It's time to place my order. Dynavite.com. Each and every day she is getting a Dynavite. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Just feed your dog right. Use Dynavite. It's working. Don't quit. Don't do what I did and run out. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. com. Good afternoon. You have a tuned in to KSCOAM 1080 and sister station KOMYAM 1340, serving Santa Cruz as well as San Jose, Salinas, Monterey, and Watsonville. Currently four minutes after 12 noon. Today is Saturday, February 22nd, 2014. Currently 61 outside KSCO Studios. Your friendly voice, Aaron Shore, with your local King of the Hill traffic and Central Coast weather. Taking a look at your roadways in and around Santa Cruz, No traffic hazards in place or vehicles traveling below the limit. However, there was a traffic collision shortly after 11 a.m. this morning. Units are still at the scene as of the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour at Highway 9 and Coon Heights Road. It is unknown if any injuries took place. Otherwise, all roads in and around Santa Cruz County are traveling up to the limit. This also includes highways 1 and 17 north and southbound. In Monterey, an accident took place, traffic collision with no injuries shortly before the top of the hour at Prune Dale North Road near Highway 156. Units are at the scene as of now. Your northern Monterey Bay Central Coast weather forecast for today. 